You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Holy and gracious Father, we ask that you will send your Holy Spirit to fill us and to point us to your Son, to see who he is and what he has done clearly for us and to redeem and reconcile your creation to you. Amen. Please be seated. First, I did not remember that story, and I want to find out what class it was, and I might need to apologize, depending on uh, how long ago it was. Uh, and uh, today, we'll be looking at Psalm 88, the, the prayer that we just prayed together, where Wes led us, was actually Psalm 88, which is on the back of your hymn sheet. And that's just for you to take with you. I'm not going to go through and do a whole expositional thing of line by line. Um, but I do want to look at this because this, this is, we're in Lent, and if there's ever a time to explore Psalm 88, it's in this time where we're thinking through uh, the effects of our sin, the effects of other people's sin on us, and the effects of sin in the world, which causes suffering regardless if there's someone to blame or not, just the fall. And so that's why we're looking at it. And To frame this, I I met yesterday with a friend, and we were sharing stories about God's kindness to us, but also some of life's severe mercies. And that phrase, severe mercies, comes from the title of a book called A Severe Mercy. It was written by Sheldon Van Auken. Uh, It's an autobiographical story of Sheldon and his wife, Jean, who is known as Davy, and their friendship in eventual, the friendship with C.S. Lewis and conversion to Christ, <laughs> not conversion to C.S. Lewis, but, and it has 18 unpublished letters of between them and C.S. Lewis that have not been published before. And it's really exploring uh, Jean, or Davy's, untimely death. So it's their romance, and it's beautiful, it's compelling, and then the tragedy of her death at 40. In one of C.S. Lewis's letter to Sheldon, the husband, he refers to his wife's death as a severe mercy because it's the death of his wife that brought Sheldon's reconciliation with God, but at a very severe price of that loss. And it sounds like an illustration of Genesis 50, 20, one of my favorite passages in the Bible where Joseph says to his brothers who wanted to kill him, left him for dead, and then sold him into slavery, what you intended for evil, God bends into good. God is so sovereign and creative that he can take what is intended for evil and bend it into good for us. And so severe mercy, that phrase is a helpful category when we're experiencing suffering. Unfortunately, that phrase can kind of just be slapped on anything, like, well, you're suffering severe mercy. It's it's finding the silver lining sometimes too quickly. But if you're in the middle of it, and and sometimes the severity of a situation in the mercy are obvious and close. I could tell you stories of things that were devastating to me, and then a day, a week, maybe a month later, I could see how God's plan was way better than I imagined. The severity was muted because of the mercy that flowed. But what happens when the severity and the mercy have a large gap in between? I can can handle the severity for a day, 
maybe even a week. I'm not the most resilient kind of guy. A month, we're pushing the envelope. But if there's a long time between the severity and the mercy, or what if there's only severity and you can't see the mercy, you don't know it, and you can't even understand where the mercy might be. What do we do in the gap? What do we do when we feel only the severity? And that's why I think Psalm 88 is helpful. I think Psalm 88 explores that gap between the severity and the hopeful mercy. So let me give you some just basic uh, things about Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is an individual psalm of lament by someone who is so overwhelmed with troubles that they feel abandoned by their, they are, they don't feel abandoned, they are abandoned by their friends and they feel abandoned by God. And this psalm is a song of distress and misery that offers no simple answers for grief, loneliness, and the questions that can overwhelm us. And this psalm is distinctive. This is why I selected this one for today. Unlike other lament psalms, which usually include some explicit expression of hope or confidence at the end, this one has no clear declaration of relief or praise. It ends with loneliness and darkness. But there are some subtle hints or implicit references, but there are hints of confidence that sound more like this quote I'm going to read to you from Martin Luther. God receives, so watch how it's God receives and blesses but then what kind of people he does? Like, I don't know if I want to receive all of this goodness at this expense. God receives none but those that are forsaken, restores health to none but those who are sick, gives sight to none but to the blind, life to the dead. He has mercy on none but the wretched, gives grace to none but those that are in disgrace. So, Let's look at this psalm. You can just look at it. I'll point out some verses just to kind of give you a roadmap on it. It begins in verse 1 and 2 by turning to and crying out to the God of my salvation. And this is in a time of misery when it feels like there is no answer given for the suffering that he's going through. And here's the thing. You might be in the middle of this. This, when I'm reading this to you, you might say, I know exactly what this feels like. If you don't know it right now, you know about it in the past. And if you don't know about it in the past and now, you will know about it in the future. Life, not trying to be pessimistic, but life is suffering because of the fall. And at any given time, this psalm is a perfect psalm for you or someone in your life. And I can think through people in my life right now that I, right now, this isn't my psalm. But it is for some people I love dearly. The psalmist expects the God of my salvation, to hear this petition, even if there's no answer that's given. He knows it's going to be heard. So he boldly addresses God as the source of his anguish. Verses 3 through 9 is, God, you're the source of my anguish. But implied in that is that God is also the source of relief and rescue. And then the psalmist suggests in verses 10 through 12 that God should rescue him from the despair because the psalmist can't glorify God if he's dead. 
I mean, he's, he's bargaining in these prayers, and I, I, I like this resiliency. And so these hopes are the reason that the psalmist is persistent in his appeal to God. Despite his affliction and despair, the psalmist trusts that God is faithful, and he is the one who has steadfast love in verse 11. So let's, before we get some reflections, I just want to give you a picture of what I think Psalm 88 provides for us. When Robert Louis Stevenson was a boy, who was the author of Treasure Island, uh, he had a way with words even as a little like seven to nine-year-old boy. He was young, and he was mesmerized by the lamplighters that were lighting the street lamps. And one evening, he watched a man go from lamppost to lamppost with a ladder and a torch. And Stevenson's parents asked, come on, Robert, we're, we're trying to have dinner. What in the world is so captivating out there. And with unbridled delight, Robert Louis Stevenson said, Mom, Dad, look at that man. He's punching holes in the darkness. That phrase, (laughs) punching holes in the darkness. Psalm 88 is a bunch of darkness with hints of holes being punched in because of what God does for his covenant people. So I don't have today know, a nicely tailored two or three points that weave beautifully. I have some reflections after just kind of pouring over Psalm 88 yesterday and this morning. So let me just give you some reflection points on this. Psalm 88 is an invitation to an honest assessment of your life. God understands the full range of human experience and can handle your loneliness, your sorrow over your sin, your cry for help in a relationship, your unwavering feeling of depression. So first, Psalm 88 says it's an invitation to an honest assessment of your life. Second, Psalm 88 shows us that God sanctions desperate, despair-filled, and barely hopeful prayers. Prayers that the Puritans used to call God's dreadful withdrawal. All of us experience moments in life when God seems silent, and silence at best, sometimes against us. God allows these seasons of dreadful withdrawal in which we find ourselves crying for his return with great intensity. We find ourselves longing for God in brand new ways that the only thing that ends up mattering to us is that God will return. Our longing for God means that we know him, but way more importantly, that God knows us. So it's an invitation to an honest assessment. It shows us that God sanctions uh, really dark prayers. Third reflection is that this psalm is meant to be sung. The Psalms are the covenantal hymn book for God's people. This is supposed to be sung with regard to worship. So God meant for his people to sing songs of lament like this while they're coming to the tabernacle. And so this is an intermingling of hope and hopelessness. God intended the darkest human laments to be brought together with the brightest of human hopes. You don't have to hide them. You don't have to mute them. You don't have to put the best foot forward. Psalm 88 is quite the opposite. Bring that into the limelight and give it its due attention. God's grace is sufficient for anything we're going through now 
anything that has happened to us in the past or what we've done in the past, anything that we will go through because of our own sin or the sin of others or just the fallenness of the world in the future. Notice also that the psalmist never questions whether God is control. In fact, it's the reality that God is in absolute control that causes the psalmist so much pain. God may relieve us of our troubles, but God always demonstrates his sufficiency in our troubles. It's God's sovereignty that is exactly the problem, not that God isn't sovereign. This psalm of lament shows us that our doctrine of God really matters for life. We can be completely honest with God with all of our feelings, and only God is great enough to receive this kind of honest response to suffering and not make it worse. I mean, as a dad, I love my kids. Jesus said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. I'm looking at this and thinking, sometimes the needs of others are an annoyance to me. Sometimes I'm afraid. I got my own things going on. I don't need to hear a burden from a wife or a child or a friend or a coworker. And it's easy for me to think that that's how God, that I'm a nuisance with my burdens. But God's quite different, that, that we can be honest with our response, and it doesn't make it worse for our relationship with God, though that type of relating is, can make it worse in our, our other relationships. And so while we might be overwhelmed with grief and misery, God is never overwhelmed, God is never threatened, and God is never exasperated. Only God can handle the worst of our sufferings. And God is not frustrated with our honesty with him. We can approach God because we feel forsaken by God. Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? But we, are ne- we will never worry that in our honesty, God will reject, judge, or forsake us. Going to God when feeling forsaken or in despair or in doubt, or in fear, is an act of faith. We have a tendency, and many of us have a tendency, to think that when we're feeling forsaken, despair, in doubt, or in fear, that that's the opposite of faith. But actually going to God in those moments is a supreme act of faith, and thanks be to God that faith is also a gift that he empowers us with. Last, just to kind of turn our eyes, um, and and this psalm lets us look inward, uh, but it doesn't let us just stay inward. There's these hints cause us to curve out back from being curved in upon ourselves and looking elsewhere. And there is, uh, the, the psalmist says that the flood of his troubles feels like God's relentless wrath. That's in verse seven. The flood, these waves feels like God's wrath. Charles Spurgeon explains how this can turn our attention away from us to Christ. And normally I wouldn't read a whole paragraph in a sermon, but this one's good enough to read. So uh, this is Charles Spurgeon on specifically verse 7, and we will then close in prayer. There was one upon whom God's wrath pressed very sorely, one who was afflicted with all God's waves. And that one is our brother, a man like ourselves, the dearest lover of our souls, And because he has known and suffered all this, he can enter into sympathy with us, whatever tribulation may beat upon us. His passion is all over now, but not his compassion. 
He has borne the indignation of God and turned it away from us. The waves have lost their fury and spent their force on him. And now he sits above the floods. He sits king forever and ever. And we think of him, the crucified. Our souls may not only derive consolation from his sympathy, but we may learn to look upon our trials with a calmer eye and judge them more according to the true standard. In the presence of Christ's cross, our, cross, our crosses are less colossal. Our thorns in the flesh are as nothing when lied, laid say, side by side with the nails and spear. Oh, Charles Spurgeon wrestled with depression. He's not minimizing suffering with that last line, but that is a helpful turn for us. In all the ways that we look at Psalm 88 to look inward and be honest, we need to then look inward and then turn our eyes where there actually is hope, where hope is found, turning our gaze back to Christ. And so in these moments of Psalm 88, there's three promises I want to leave us with, and then we'll pray. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Let us remember that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. You know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.